2: Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead. A little over 24 hours to go until the latest Fed decision. We'll look at what the market wants, why the Fed will likely ignore that, when the gap between the two could finally close, and where you can still find opportunity right now. You might be surprised by some of them. Plus, shrinking cash, bloated inventories, and falling profitability. We'll look at which retailers are best and worst positioned as the consumer starts to wobble here. We'll look through the debt levels in particular. And speaking of wobbling, what's going on with digital ad spend. We'll look at whether competition or recession is the real reason the big cap names have been struggling as their earnings reports loom. But first, let's get to Dominic Chu with the latest on these markets. Dom?
3: Kelly, earlier this morning, especially the pre-market, we thought we were going to wobble for sure. We were decently in the red at one point, but a number of earnings catalysts and maybe some macroeconomic catalysts as well. Drove the upside here. So what we are seeing is green across the screen for the three major indices here. The Dow is up roughly 150 points, half of 1% gains there, three-quarters of 1% for the S&P 500, 4,048 the last trade there, up 31 handles. And by the way, at the highs of the session, up 33 at the lows, up three. So very much towards the high end of the range right now. The Nasdaq Composite up 121 points, the real outperformer up over a percent today, 11,515. What's been driving a lot of the outperformance, especially in technology-related companies and shares, the Nasdaq 100 overall, has been the outperformance in key sectors, like consumer discretionary. Think Amazon, think Tesla. Also in communication services, think some of the social media stocks that have rebounded. That's the reason why those two sectors, the biggest gainers so far in this young 2023, the worst performing sector so far this year, utilities down about 3%, maybe no surprise there as people tilt a little bit more, at least for now, towards the growth oriented parts of the market. And then the stock of the day is General Motors, a legacy automaker, and it's had its problems in the past, but right now up 8% today, still down 25% over the last year. Profits and revenues reported this morning come in better than expectations. Also, the forecast for full year profits in 2023, also above analyst estimates. Now, despite profit margins that were lower, Kelly, Year over year, investors accentuating the positive right now. GM shares up 8%. I'll send things back over to Oh,
2: that you. was a <laughs> monster right quarter. Thank you, Dom. The latest decision on interest rates is due out a little over 24 hours from now. A quarter-point hike is the expectation, but can the economy handle another increase? Will we see more of a split by Fed officials? And will it turn out to be the last hike of this cycle? We've got all these angles covered from Main Street to Wall Street. Steve Leesman is on Recession Watch on the market fallout, we've got Morgan Stanley Investment Management's Brian Weinstein and MAI Capital's Chris Grisanti. And on the mainstream impact, BMO Capital Simeon Siegel has the retail name's best and worst positioned to handle another rate hike. Welcome, everybody. Steve, let's start with you.
1: Hey, uh, thanks, Kelly. The Fed meeting this week uh, amid diminished but still high expectations for a recession and anemic growth forecast and an outlook for inflation that's set to a- Come down a bit. The CNBC Fed survey for January sees the recession probability at 51%. You can see that right there down sharply from 63% in December, but still higher than the normal, which is around here, 20, 25%, uh, which uh, just 9%, though, saying we're in a recession already. Where it's a, Whether it's such or not, the outlook is for trend growth in 2022 give way to, gives way to anemic growth of just around 0.4%. That's uh, actually rounding up. A very small number, and then it bounces back to trend. You can see in 2024 uh, expected rate hikes this week, 25 basis points, and then 82%. See by the way, uh, another rate hike, come, 25, coming in March. Peak rate 5% in April 2023. They hold there for nine months, but there it is, 44%. Now banking on a cut in December. Behind the outlook for rate cuts, inflation seems to declining to 3.3% and 2.9% next year. Most don't see the Fed hitting its inflation target for several years, Kelly, if at all.
2: Fascinating. Come on over, Steve. The one in particular that jumps out uh, as we op- open this up, kick it around a little bit. I mean, the fact that 44 percent of people think a rate cut is coming, a lot of people go, well, then why bother hiking, right? Now? <laughs> You're just going to end up cutting rates. If only
1: the Fed were on board with that idea that Fair. they eventually <laughs> are going to cut. You know, it's not unusual for the Fed to, to hit a peak rate and then fine tune. But the idea of the unanimity of the Fed, 17 of the 19 at, at, at uh, 5% or higher. And then you also have that point in the minutes, which stood out from the last one. No Fed rate member sees a rate cut in 2023. Mm. It was a bit like the Fed showing the back of the, its back of the hands of the market.
2: Interesting. <clears throat> All right, Brian, do you think the market's going to end up slapping the Fed around?
4: Eventually, yes. Um, I don't think quite yet. Um, yes, the market is often right uh, and ahead of the Fed, but I think tomorrow you're going to see the Fed go 25. I think they must feel pretty good. Inflation is coming out a bit lower than they expected. They'll have to lower their forecasts. Um, they're not happy about growth being close to zero, but it's not negative. So I think you'll see a Fed that is resolute that they're not going to ease. They'll push back against the market, but the market probably <clears throat> won't care.
2: And meanwhile, Chris, I look at your notes, and I, 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 you know, you you make a you say the case for recession recession is getting stronger and stronger. Five indicators that are either rarely or never wrong that continue to say recession is ahead. Those all sound familiar, Steve. We talk about them all the time. Inverted yield curve, falling PMIs, contracting M2, soft home building, and falling leading indicators. And Chris, as an equities guy, what do you do? Well,
5: you know, first, I don't think you panic. But, but I also think that you don't have FOMO. You don't have the fear of missing out with this strong market because You know, the market has predicted, you know, eight of the last two recessions, but it's also predicted eight of the of the last two comebacks. What I mean is I don't think this is going to be a strong comeback. I think by mid year things will have slowed down markedly. And and so this is kind of a nice time to take some profits, Kelly, and, and also kind of pick and choose more with a rifle than with a shotgun about where you want to be in this market.
2: And the home builders, you and I talked about this months ago, when no one when they were trading at two and three times, and now you think that's kind of run its course.
5: I, I do. I mean, I mean, they're up. Uh, uh, we owned the NVR, which had. Decent earnings today, but the stock's up forty-five percent since June, and and some home builders are up even more. So they're 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 discounting good news that may or may not come true. So I, I think it may be some time to it may be time to take some profits off the table there,
2: Brian. I'm trying to figure out with the the new sort of popular kid in town, which is kind of uh, fixed income, and and so you know. Me- I don't know. All, all, all parts of fixed income have people kind of salivating with these yields. But I'm trying to think through what Steve just told us um, and the, the, the likelihood of a downturn or of rate cuts that are coming. And how does that maybe change what parts of the curve you think people want to be in right now?
4: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And it's weird to be popular and fixed income, but but we are a little bit. Um, I mean, listen, the front end of the yield curve, the Fed is trying to entice you to go there. And I think you should, right? To get four and three quarters, 5% for a little while, I think is a a great return. It should steal capital. I think the dangerous part is that two to five year part of the curve where everyone always puts money, but that's where the eases are priced in. So if those don't come, you don't get enough, I don't think, to go there. But when you go further out into the 10 year point, listen, at some point down the road, the Fed will raise rates enough to cause things to slow down. So owning Longer duration quality assets and locking in that yield. We haven't seen yields up this level in you know in you know, s- you know seven eight ten years. I think locking some of those immunities are great. Investment grade corporates are great. A little bit of high yield in there, but we're popular for a reason. The income is pretty good.
2: One thing, Steve, that I find a little bit curious is people saying, you know, yes, the Fed should or maybe it will, pa- maybe it won't pause after this meeting. Maybe it's mm-hmm. the next one, but they say they they can't pause prematurely because otherwise equi- equities would fly. And this idea that, especially <clears throat> if we're heading into a slowdown, that the Fed is going to be afraid of letting stocks rally too much in what could end up being a bear market bounce. Whoa, just I'm curious what your take would be on that.
1: I, I spend an enormous amount of time gaming out what I think Powell's going to say. I've come to a dead end about him saying almost anything positive about the outlook for rates. If you think about it, these two guys are sitting there with their finger itchy on the trigger, right? If Powell says... We think we're nearing the end of the rate hike cycle. Boom! Right. Hit it. If the Powell says, um, you know, we think maybe uh, uh, the risks are now balanced between inflation and growth, mm-hmm. Mark is going to hit that. Mm-hmm. If they say something like, uh, we believe that uh, we're, we may have to, I mean, he will never say this, have to reverse course towards the end. The market is poised and ready to bounce on it. But he has to that? be monotone and not make almost any comment at all about that would could be perceived as dovish because of what you just said. But
2: here's my controversial question. Why should that matter? Why are they so afraid <clears> of a stock market rally, especially one that could end up being a dead end if the economy is
1: slowing? Um, I think what they see the stock market as is just another piece of the financial conditions index. They do not believe they what they want is they want an economy that is running below potential to create slack to bring down inflation. They're concerned right now. Financial conditions really not have not really tightened a lot. Uh, They've actually loosened a little bit since the Fed went up to that five percent forecast Um, and an economy that where where rates are uh, essentially or the, the market rate is essentially juicing growth is one that is not one the Fed believes yeah. will reduce inflation.
2: And Chris, if he, to Steve's point, and, and as the market seems to be kind of snuffing out, if Powell comes out and does his best tomorrow to make sure there's no hint of them doing anything other than further rate hikes, what is that likely to mean for stocks in the meantime?
5: You know, the market right now, uh, Kelly, seems to you know take everything as, as a glass half full. What, what I would say to, to the watchers is, hey, Be careful what you wish for, because if you really think the Fed's going to cut by the end of the year, what kind of circumstances would lead this Fed? which, as Steve said, has given the back of its hand to the market to cut. And I think the only thing that would would lead you to do that is some really bad situations in both earnings and in the equity market. So, so again, be careful what you wish for.
2: Exactly. No, it's it's well said. By the way, I just want to mention a couple of other names that you are looking at here. Uh, Domino's Pizza comes up on your screen. First Republic Bank. Um, So there are places that you think people can ride this out? Absolutely.
5: And the good thing about a bear market and we're still in a bear market. Is is there are opportunities created. You know, First Republic is a terrific bank, and from peak to trough, it was down fifty percent into October. It's come back a little bit, but that's a great franchise that's available at, at a, a very uh infrequently cheap price. So we like that a lot and would buy it even if we think the economy is going to slow.
2: All right. And finally, Brian, to you, as I mentioned yesterday, but Deutsche Bank put out a note where they say they're starting to get cautious on credit for some of these recession concerns and and so on. What would you say to that to people who start wondering maybe corporate credit isn't the place that they want to be?
4: Yeah, listen, I think there's a, there's a risk, right? We've retraced a lot of the widening. You get less yield than you did before. So, yeah, you have to be careful. The Fed is going to stay at a high level of rates until they cause a little bit of pain. Um, so you can't just blindly buy credit like you did the last 15 years. Uh, so I think that's a very important note. You do have to be careful. It's not a free lunch. That's why some cash, I think, is important at these yield levels. And then you barbell some safer assets out the curve. There'll be times to buy the risky stuff um, in, in the not-too-distant future.
2: All right, we'll leave it there, gentlemen. Thank you all. Steve Leesman, Brian Weinstein, and Chris Crisanti and still ahead we'll dive into the retail aspect of this as the consumer starts to wobble we've got the names most exposed to rate hikes with the retail ETF the XRT hitting a six-month high Plus, is recession coming to the digital ad space? We'll hear from one exec about where he's seeing weakness and where he's not as competition grows and budgets shrink. And as we head to break, let's get a check on the markets green across the board with the Nasdaq back in the leadership position, unless you count the small caps up nearly two percent today. We're back after this.
6: From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway.
2: Welcome back to The Exchange. The Fed's tightening strategies being felt from Wall Street to Main Street. Here's a headline from The Wall Street Journal. The U.S. consumer, they say, is starting to freak out. Uh, There's recession risk. There's higher credit card rates. There's no more stimulus. And my next guest says it is all putting pressure on consumers and on businesses alike. It's starting to separate the best from the rest in retail. Simeon Siegel is here today. He's senior retail analyst at BMO Capital Markets. Welcome. Thank you for coming out here. So we should start with the idea that there definitely is a consumer slowdown happening, but also that stimulus was so broad and helpful for everybody, it might have papered over a lot of cracks that are now emerging. And and where do you think these cracks are deepest?
8: I think we think about retail. First of all, great to be back. It's been a long (laughs) time. Good to see you. I think we think about retail as being the zero sum game. It's the consumer versus the retailer. And COVID eliminated that. Everyone was on the same side. And so what's happening now is everything we keep talking about in terms of the consumer overpurchasing and the consumer overextending, companies did it too. Mm-hmm. It was the same story. We watched them overbuy inventory, think these lovely times, the stimulus times, were never going to stop. And so now we're paying the price. And so what's interesting is figuring out, you say best and rest, I've generally gone winners and losers, I'll mm-hmm. go with yours. But we're in a new scenario that actually looks a lot like pre COVID. Sure. We're just back to...
2: Does it, is it that the same group that was sort of the leadership then is, is back in, in sort of the solid leadership position now? Or have things changed and there's a whole new different set of people that are benefiting or being hurt?
8: I think yes and no. I think the off prices of the world continue to push forward. But there's been some special companies in the mall that took advantage of COVID and said, I'm going to change. I'm going to improve the business. Victoria's Secret today is one of the outperformers right. because they've improved their cash position, they've improved their profitability perspective. And I think that's the trick. I think people are going to figure out how much excess capital they had in their, in their personal accounts mm-hmm. because of stimulus, and how much because they've changed their spending habits, companies are seeing the same thing right now.
2: Absolutely. You mentioned uh, Victoria's Secret. Uh, Some of the other companies that uh, you think are doing well here in terms of improving kind of their balance sheet or their position, Mr. Carwash, am I right in that? Nordstrom. uh, You mentioned Burlington, some of the discounters. Gap is another name as well. So Nordstrom and Gap surprised me a little bit. What do you think they've done right?
8: Beauty is they surprised me too. So listen, leverage is tied to debt, cash, and EBITDA. Everyone is seeing their EBITDA come down this year. Hopefully, they'll see it improve next year. Cash is the big trick. And so I think Mr. Car Wash is a separate instance, right? I mean, it's its own special beast. Why is everyone in your coverage universe? (laughs) That's a conversation over drinks. No, they're they're a really good company. But I think, listen, everyone needs a car wash in in their portfolio. But the other business is interesting because we're watching some of this. And part of the debt analysis is more to figure out who's in trouble than who's in a good place because you don't want to show up in the debt report. It's not like, oh, we get really excited about how low your leverage is. Great, right? I mean, certain dose of leverage better is Better if you didn't
2: have it at all, sure. I think
8: like one of the questions we had, we looked at VF Corp., so VFC, where if I'm inside that boardroom, I'm wondering, should I be cutting my dividend? Right really? Now? And so one of the interesting analyses we did was we looked at who has big fixed costs, who, have, who has a big fixed debt pay down coming due, and how does it correspond to their own profitability, their own EBITDA? And so next year, VF has half of their EBITDA that they need to refinance.
2: Wow. Wow. And it's a fixed cost, and that's in a very high interest rate regime.
8: Exactly, and it wasn't when they started. And so, to, and that's why we're looking at the fixed versus the variable in that perspective. And these are the things that stand out.
2: And the two other names that come up are actually the the grill names that we <laughs> the grill names Weber <laughs> and Traeger. Um, both of those look look pretty poor on this metric as well.
8: Yeah, listen, I think that's a big EBITDA conversation. And it's the fact that any, if you came public in 21, chances Meaning because they
2: don't have a lot of earnings.
8: Correct. Yeah. So if you came public in 21, chances are you had a lot of fixed rate debt. Mm. That's just the unfortunate reality. And if you were a grill manufacturer walking out of COVID, chances are you didn't have a lot of EBITDA. Mm. So you watched both of those. You got hit by both of those aspects. Fortunately, those low container costs are going to help them more than anyone else as well. So we'll see what that EBITDA does next year. Sure, meaning as
2: freight costs come down and that normalizes somewhat.
8: Correct. If there's anyone that got hurt by... Spending $5,000 to ship things over in a container that pivoted to $25,000, it was big, heavy grills, that and Peloton bikes. Right, exactly. So I think if we think about it from that perspective, you have the double hit. So you have this fixed cost debt, and then you have the EBITDA. Hopefully the EBITDA starts to improve.
2: So this gives people a a sense, I think, for as you're sort of separating the best and the rest. Um, Should we use this as a launching point to talk Peloton more specifically? It was the poster child for the pandemic, both on the way up and the way down. Where do things stand now?
8: I was just listening to the last segment. Uh, Fixed income, economists, I'm nowhere near smart enough to touch that stuff. What is fascinating to me is how much the consumer led the conversation. Before there was inflation, there was lower promotions. You and I talked about it. Sure. Three years ago. They mean the same thing. When we used Victoria's Secret, and Victoria's Secret raised the price in, I don't know, May or June of 2020 by 30%, that's inflation. It didn't get called inflation until the CPI hit Mm -hmm. in 21. It lags. And so from my perspective, we've learned in college econ 101, supply and demand. There was a mismatch in supply and demand. Peloton was the perfect example on Mm -hmm. both sides. First, there was too much demand and too little supply. Then there was too much supply and too little demand. That's what's happening. And so if 2022 was that Peloton moment for the rest of the world, the rest of discretionary, where it was, I thought the good times would roll and they didn't, and now I'm stuck with inventory, 23, we're actually back to some semblance of normalcy. Being a retailer is hard. You need to predict demand. For the past two years, you had to predict supply, too. That's done. Now we get to see who can understand their consumer as opposed to who has to worry about their supplier.
2: You know, and I I was noticing in conversation the other day as well, someone was asking for advice on what treadmill to buy, and people said, you know, the Peloton tread's actually pretty good, but apparently you can't get one. I don't know if that's because they're still held up because of the awful production problems they had or just otherwise. The question for a company like Peloton is, okay, so how do you forecast uh, production rates, for instance, now that everybody's talking about this question of whether we're heading into recession? It's extra difficult this year.
8: It is extra difficult, but at least you know what you can get. I think for Peloton specifically, listen, the Tread, there's part of it that's still recall, so the Tread Plus. But if you think about their actual Tread, Peloton has been very vocal about not wanting to be in the equipment business for all intents and purposes, right? They love their subscription business, as they should, 60-plus percent contribution margin. They do not like their equipment business, which has a lot of bikes sitting in warehouses that are burning cash. And so right now, I think if you're lucky enough to have not over-inventoried, and over-infrastructured, because Peloton made that dual mistake, and you're lucky enough to just have over-inventoried, which is what most discretionary retailers did, figure out the right cadence to sell your product, find the consumer, and you will win. If you're lucky enough to have a replenishment business, right? the other side of Victoria's Secret was Bath & Body Works. They used to be the same company. That's a business that should be able to work through your candles and sell it again.
2: It's still one of your favorite companies. It is
8: still one of my favorite companies.
2: Yeah, Bath & Body Works, Capri, uh, TJX, Planet Fitness, Under Armour. This...
8: the way I would say it, because a sell sider needs to say the word, an analyst needs to say the word barbell, otherwise he's not <laughs> accomplished his mission in life. So if I'm barbelling, in this recessionary type of environment, TJX, Planet Fitness, they win. They compound. They're the right price. They're the right convenience. In the other scenario, in the scenario where we continue to watch this retail rally run, I think Bath & Body Works benefits from their replenishment. I think Capri benefits from their promotional discipline. They have been the vocal about, I will not give up market share for margin. And I think Under Armour is just wildly dislocated.
2: Fascinating. Simeon, always a pleasure. Running through all of it, running through the mall, it feels like, and Mr. Carwash, Simeon Siegel with BMO Capital Markets. Coming up, it's Asia's richest man versus the, quote, Madoffs of Manhattan. We'll dig into the short seller report threatening one of the wealthiest men in the world. Plus, the busiest week of earnings season continues with 20% of the S&P reporting. And Virtue Financial Chairman Bob Greifeld will give us his take on the market internals and that glitch at the NYSE last week. And wait till you hear what he's really excited about right now as we go to break here's a look at the dow heat map two to one advancers with home depot unh and dow leading the way caterpillar mcdonald's and ibm the biggest laggards are back after this
1: hi i'm ben i suffer from a condition called writer's block it strikes when i'm at work that's why i choose canva magic Write. it works fast
2: Welcome back to The Exchange. We're back to the January pattern here. The Nasdaq up 1% today to pretty much lead the way. The Dow was up 180 at the highs, and we're just off those levels right now. Let's check on mega cap tech, where pretty much every name is in the green. Not huge amounts today. Apple's only up two-tenths of 1%, but Amazon with about a 1.5% gain there uh, to pretty much lead the way. And here are some of the other movers this hour. You're going to hear about it a- Time and again, the home builders seeing some nice gains. Look at Pulte up 9%. I think it's the best name in the SP right now. Uh, all of this after the earnings beat. Lenar up 3%, Taylor Morrison 5%, Green break up. The home builder ETF up nearly 4%. We talked about NV. Are earlier as well. A lot of these names hitting 52-week highs today. No longer the days of trading two-times forward earnings. Uh, international paper surging 10% and having its best day since March 2020 after strong results. The stock leading the materials sector today and having its best month in over a decade with this 20% gain. If you think that's a big move, we're not done yet. Check out shares of C3AI up 26%, 24% right now. But this is today after they launched a new, you guessed it, you <laughs> artificial intelligence product for businesses. This is the new blockchain, people. Just put AI in anything. What was that energy drink company? Just change your name to an AI now and you'll see your stock go flying. The company says they integrate the latest AI capabilities from Google and OpenAI, that was the parent of ChatGPT, to build a natural language interface for customers. The stock is up 81% in January for its best month on record. Over to Tyler Matheson now for a CNBC News update.
10: I'm Tyler AI, okay, Kelly, (laughs) from this point forward. Here's what's happening at this hour, folks. Icy weather in Texas and the south continuing to disrupt flights across the country. About 1,600 flights have been canceled so far today. This according to the tracking site FlightAware. Most of them are to or from the Dallas-Fort Worth area airport, Southwest American, the hardest hit airlines with more than 900 cancellations. Uh, Both carriers do have hubs in the Dallas area. The family of Tyree Nichols plans to speak on the latest developments in the case, uh, including the suspension of two police officers and the firing of three emergency responders. The remarks will come on the day before Tyree's funeral. And Pope Francis demanding foreign countries stop plundering the natural resources of Africa. He made the plea on his first day of his trip to the Democratic Republic of Congo, home to more than 50 million Catholics. Francis is the first pope to visit the country since back, Kelly, in 1985.
2: Back to you. All right, Tyler, thank you. Coming up, a spending slowdown is slamming the ad market as companies tighten their purse strings. We just mentioned C3AI's big day. Could artificial intelligence be the answer to advertisers' problems? A view from the C-suite next. Welcome back. Huge week for tech earnings. Snap, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Google, they're all on deck. They've all posted strong gains to start the year, as you can see. Snap's up 27%. But could those rallies be derailed if and as ad spending continues to falter? A recent survey by Cowan shows digital ad spending growth could slow to its lowest level in five years. For more, let's bring in someone with unique insight into the online ad market. Mountain CEO Mark Douglas is here. Welcome. It's great to see you. And joining us remotely is Joanna Stern. She is tech columnist, of course. We don't need an intro, Joanna, uh, at the Wall Street Journal. It's great to have you both here. So Mark, just real quickly, what are you seeing in terms of an overall slowdown in spending here?
9: Well, what you're seeing, I think, is that um, current existing advertisers, like kind of the big names, They're just very indecisive. So a lot, you know, normally in January, they would know what they were planning to spend for 2023, and you Hmm. just didn't see that this year.
7: Interesting. People
9: just really not knowing what they want to do. And so it's making like the whole digital ad market kind of be in suspended animation a bit.
2: I'm curious because the last recession, I'm not going to count COVID, but the financial crisis, you know, the digital ad market, I have to imagine, was so nascent (laughs) that did it even experience a slowdown or did it actually gain share during? During
9: that period? Well, anytime there's usually like a more, any kind of broader decline, essentially, we've talked about this in the past direct response marketing actually benefits that happened with COVID that happened before then. But right now, and but, uh, you know, I kind of look at the current slowdown. And in the previous ones, it was like there was a crowd of people that just rushed to the next opportunity. Mm. It was like in 2000, let's go for housing. (laughs) And then in COVID, it's like, you know, everything's discounted. Let's just buy everything on discount. Now everyone doesn't seem to know where to go. (laughs) And so and then you're seeing that reflected in retailers and everyone just not knowing what to do with their budgets and, and just kind of holding back
2: and joanna i think it's also interesting for this market in particular to to wonder okay is it recession to mark's point that's keeping everybody kind of in wait and see mode and is it competition you know the fact that netflix all of a sudden is going to sop up a big piece of the advertising market this year and everyone else still trying to figure out what to do uh with some of these ad blocking things that
0: have been going on what are you hearing yep yeah i i'll raise the tech flag tech person here so much or the big question is to be how much of this is about tech, right? In 2022, the big story around ad tech was the impact that Apple's changes to iOS had on iPhone users and targeting them. We saw a lot of that discussed in the meta earnings calls, snaps calls. We, are, I think, are really focused on what is going to be the rebound to that? What are the improvements that these tech companies can say they've made in the last year to combat some of that specific targeting that they lost with Apple. So that's one big thing to look for on the tech side. I think specifically on Meta, there, there's really something promising, too, in how they're using AI and to hear from them on how they're using AI, specifically in Instagram, and if they're making inroads there to compete with TikTok with their Reels product, uh, the journal had a story a few days ago, which has said internally they are very optimistic about what they are doing on Reels. So that being more engagement there, more opportunities for ad targeting. And again, back to that first point, using the data in smarter ways that they may have had to recoup because of Apple's changes. Yeah, I, I, I...
2: Mark, what would you say are kind of the next thing? We're going to have earnings, but to your point, this is a little bit of a Q4 story. Um, we want to hear their guidance. We want to hear anything that they say about kind of the the way that we're starting off this year.
9: Yeah, well, I think Q4, just because the seasonality is likely not be you know, huge, but not disappointing. Uh, but I think what something that's really different is that Because I I don't think you've seen this like real pullback in spending among kind of the tech giants, I guess you would say, that means there's not going to be explosive growth Hmm. as the market does recover. So if if we're kind of just hovering, I think what I hear from a lot of advertisers is that they're looking for new opportunities. Hmm. And so that is going to favor maybe TikTok. It's going to favor streaming. It's going to favor, mm-hmm. you know, the word AI. And, the, you know, you were exact- talking about. Exactly. Alia. It's not going to <laughs> yeah. be like, okay, we're back to normal. And now, like, meta mm-hmm. it just gets explosive growth in the next couple of quarters. So
2: this is super interesting, Joanne. I'll give you a quick final word here. But if, if the same analogy in the financial crisis was people migrating to online, for instance, is, is the mm-hmm. migration now going to be to what Mark said, social, streaming, and AI? Yeah
0: that that's different than where we've been yes that like we have more buzzwords in the mix now right there there's i totally agree with mark there there's got to be another buzzword that advertisers get excited about i think ai is that right now i'm not sure anyone really knows what ai means for that but we'll see we'll see um even though i know i've said ai like 15 times already on this show so (laughs)
2: <laughs> I mean you're not seeing anyone really look to commit budgets here yet. There's 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 not things like ChatGPT haven't even started offering advertising. Yeah, anymore.
9: and it's not ChatGPT is very exciting, but when Google first came about I mean, there were just so many people using it before they mm-hmm. ever had an ad business. Totally. And they were using it constantly. With ChatGBT, it's still kind of like, this is yep. a, a
2: fun it, toy it, to it play with. It gives me that same feeling. Yeah. And, you're, and you're right. When Google yeah. first started, we were all like, wow, it's so clean and, yeah. the, and this whole thing. Yeah. And then little did we know, it would become one of the greatest
0: ad platforms of all time. Yeah,
9: exactly. And so, and to that
0: point, I, I will say the excitement around it, right? That's not only making consumers excited, which is what advertisers want to see. But the the tech companies have been so sort of pushed along, right? It really lit something under them. I'm not going to say the three-letter word I want to say, but it lit something under them to get ahead of AI. And so maybe that inspires the, the entire industry.
9: Yeah. And I think also um, what's a little known is that advertisers are not ready to accept the reporting from Google and Meta. This is kind of a subtle point, but they're now really developing their own models. They're almost like investors coming up with their own ways of looking wow. at the data. And so again, they're looking for new places to place dollars. So I think, I, I think, and this is slightly self-serving, I think streaming's gonna do very
2: well. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, mm. for your sake, we hope. <laughs> Thank you both, we appreciate it today. Joanna Sturd and Mark Douglas. Still ahead, Asia's richest man is fighting to save both his fortune and his reputation after short-seller Hindenburg put out a scathing report accusing his conglomerate of market manipulation and questionable accounting. We've got the latest and the wide-ranging global implications next. As we head to break, here's a look at the sector heat map. Utilities, the only group in the red right now, with materials and consumer discretionary leading the way. Dow's up 165. We're back after this. Welcome back. Shares of Gautam Adani's uh, Adani Enterprises climbing today, nearly 3% after getting a vote of confidence from investors. The conglomerate holding a $2.5 billion share sale, India's largest secondary uh, share sale ever, after sinking on last week's report from Hindenburg Research that accused Adani of fraud and stock price manipulation. Let's dig further into both the company and the man behind them with Seema Modi and Robert Frank, Welcome to both of you. Seema, we'll start with you on why this is having such a big impact, not just in India, but around the world.
7: Well, he really needed this, right? A fully subscribed $2.5 billion equity sale led by Abu Dhabi, Goldman Sachs. We didn't really see too many retail investors. And as you pointed out, Kelly, the largest equity sale India has seen. What it's done is it's helped stop the downward decline that we've seen in Donnie's stock price over the past week for now. But in the meantime, over the last week, we've still seen billions of dollars in market value erased due to these stock price allegation concerns.
2: Wow, and what do they boil down to? You know, when we hear fraud and manipulation, you know, what? And this is the most powerful man in in the country, it sounds like.
7: He is. And in the Hindenburg report, they claim that Adani is uh, accused of stock price manipulation using shell companies that are then using their money to pump up the stock of Adani Enterprises. So it's a wide ranging report that really raises some big concerns about who is many times seen as the biggest and most powerful name in India. What do we
2: know about him, Robert? Well, Kelly, he
11: was like a supernova of wealth. Last year, he became the world's second richest man at $155 billion. Remember, last year was a year that all the top 10 billionaires in the world lost money. He gained $55 billion. He sort of came out of nowhere. He has just over the past four trading days lost around $30 billion. It's one of the biggest sort of wealth losses in a short period of time that we've seen recently. And as Seema said... You know, he had a very good day today. At least one of his main companies, Donnie Enterprises, saw their shares increase. Some of the other shares, you know, it's a whole complex of companies here, very complicated, and there are multiple shares uh, of companies that trade. Some of those traded down today. Uh, they set new limits on those shares. But the big challenge now is his debt. He's got about $26 billion in debt across this group. The bonds, some of which are U.S.-traded, are now trading around 73 cents on the dollar So, yes, he had this offering that, you know, went off today that was a good day for him. But there are these bigger questions that relate to the debt. And if the debt's trading at a discount, you know, what does that say about the equity?
2: And has he done enough, Sema, to kind of address the concerns at the heart of this and um, what's been the reaction by the public in
7: India? Well, it's interesting to look at, to Robert's point, uh, the amount of debt that's on its balance sheet and where it's been t- getting loans from. So about 40% is held by Indian banks, and that's why we've seen uh, a huge sell-off in some of the biggest financial names in India, from State Bank of India, Yes Bank, Life Insurance, all down about 8 to 9% over the past uh, 10 days. Uh, at the same time, as Adani has been growing its empire, their exposure to foreign banks has actually been increasing as well. There was uh, a recent, acquisition of a cement company by uh, Adani last year for $10.6 billion. That was under, underwritten by Barclays, Standard Chartered, Deutsche Bank as well. And then private equity has played a role as well. Uh, Warburg Pincus recently purchasing a stake um, in a port in India for $100 million. There's Apollo, who we spoke to a couple of weeks ago. Right. They gave Adani a $750 million loan. Um, that's the Mumbai International Airport, which is majority owned by Adani. So his, his tentacles are really all over the infrastructure story. Is that,
2: Robert, kind of reinforcing some of the questions being raised here?
11: It is, and you know the other broader question, which just any investor would ask is, how does a stock go up 3,000% in just five years, which now trades at a multiple at a P.E. of over 400 times? I mean, wow. setting aside all of the offshore allegations, everything else, just any stock that's up 3,000% in five years has a 400 multiple would raise questions to any investor, let alone a short seller.
2: What do you think the significance, you know, two and a half billion dollars, while, while big by the Indian secondary market uh, point of view, is not, it's a drop in the bucket of what this company and this man is worth. What would be the best use of those proceeds, Robert? Well, they're
11: going to expand the shareholder base. They're going to pay down some of that debt. Um, And I think the question now is, you know, Abu Dhabi already had about $2 billion sunk into this company. It had to sort of follow that with the $400 million assist on this 2.5 offering. So they were in a lot of high net worth investors in India were also investors in this. So the question is, what is the real shareholder base of these companies feel? Have they kept their faith? or do they continue to lose their faith uh, going forward? So that's why tomorrow's trading and the rest of the week will be really interesting to watch.
2: Absolutely. Even this uh, share sale being completed doesn't feel... doesn't feel like that's the end of the yeah. story. There's more by to stretch, absolutely. absolutely. Sure. Guys, thank you for now, Robert Frank and Seema Modi. Still ahead, stocks, session highs right now, dows up more than 200 points. NASDAQ continues to lead the way with a 1.1% gain. Microsoft, Amazon, and Tesla having the biggest point impact on the S&P today. Tesla's up 3%. And Virtue Financial Chair and former NASDAQ CEO Bob Greifeld is particularly interested in the future of one of Microsoft's big bets. He joins us next to discuss here on The exchange. Welcome back to the exchange. Stocks are higher on this last trading day of the month as the S&P clocks its best January since 2019. But we're just about 24 hours from the Fed's next rate decision. Are the good times about to be over? Let's ask Bob Greifeld, chairman of Virtue Financial, former Nasdaq CEO and a CNBC contributor. It's great to have you here, Bob. Welcome.
12: Great to be here, Kelly. Good to see you again.
2: What's your spidey sense about uh, about the markets and the economy? Because my mine's a little a little worried these days. But you know, you would know much better than I.
12: Well, I would say this: when you have a January effect after a very difficult prior year, I think it really is sound and fury and signifies nothing. Hmm. So I see the markets going up in January. I don't think it means much for how we're going to play out for the balance of the year. Wow, that's I would say-
2: Yeah, uh, you know, don't don't crush people's dreams too much here. I mean, what about the people who say, well, but we've priced in the downturn and the labor market's still strong and, you know, a soft landing is still possible and and it's going to be off to the races?
12: Well, see, I I think we're in a period of time when the smoke is still up. And you uh, this morning talked about uh, basically the employee cost index and we're up 1%. And the expectation was 1.1%. So if you're in the soft landing camp, you have the right to say, hey, this is a better number and I think we're on the right path. If you're on the hard landing camp, you can say, well, it's still 1%, which is historically a very high number. So I think the smoke's in the air. Three months from now, you'll have a better sense of where really the market's going to be. We're kind of in a 60-40 time when you take surveys. Even more shocking to me is when you have forty-four percent of the intelligent people following the Fed saying there's a chance the Fed's going to reduce rates right. this Right. And then you have another 44% saying that's crazy. No way, no how. So smokes in the air. Three months from now it's gonna be easier to be a forecaster. Today I think it's quite difficult.
2: <laughs> Let me ask you about the just sort of the fundamental biggest change here. Don't want to miss the forest for the trees. With interest rates where they are. How much of a headwind is that for corporate America?
12: So I think the sand is in the gears and we don't know how significant that will be. And I don't want to play my hand in terms of what I think might happen. But I think with respect, uh, well, it, with respect to the interest rate rises here, there is a delayed effect. Everybody knows that you throw sand in the gears. Is that going to have the gears stop or just slow down? So we don't really know. So I think, again, in three Six months from now, we'll see what is the true impact of all the Fed rises we had in 2022. My bias is that we're going to go into, uh, you know, not not quite a soft landing, a little harder than that.
2: You are a brave man, if I may mention, uh, to be launching a hedge fund in this environment. Or maybe you think that, you know, that that's kind of you, you want to kind of get in when people are going, wait a minute, I need someone who can I can trust to kind of navigate through the, a period like this.
12: Well, when people ask me about the markets, I always say don't bet against technology, right? It's just a hard thing to do, and you would have been wrong over the last 30 years. And technology will particularly advance. Now, I have particular expertise in financial technology, and that's what we're going to focus on uh, with the hedge fund. But with respect to technology, one of the highlights of the year for me was fourth quarter 22 when I started playing with chat GPT. Ah. It was- the future has arrived, right? When you first used that product, Kelly, totally. you knew the world was going to be different. So technology is going to be doing many things. Chat GP is one of a category called generative AI. There's you know, other companies that are serious competitors that will do interesting things there. So when I think of the markets, I always think, OK, how do I not uh, make sure I'm betting against technology?
2: So, and, and I guess the, what's so fascinating about this is most people would agree with you and yet look at the market and say, well, this has been the part that's been most hard hit by rate hikes. You know, how much of the technological innovation capacity, certainly the share price increases that we saw over the past 10 years was just the flip side of low rates.
12: I can guarantee you one thing, Kelly, the people in the development labs at Chat GPT did not Pay attention to what Jerome Powell did last year, right? Okay. They do what they do, right? So I get discounted cash flows when you're coming trying to come up with a equity analysis. But in terms of innovation, innovation is you know uh, doesn't pay any attention to what's happening in the rates. If anything, these developers you want to make sure you get them out to eat on time, not pay attention to what the Fed is doing.
2: Now, fair enough. I'd be remiss while you're here not to ask you what happened with the NICE last week with that trading glitch where, I mean, people are saying they they are demanding refunds. There's investigations going on. They're saying it was a manual error. Any insight?
12: Well, I I don't have any special insight, but I read what you have read. And, you know, I'm hearing it's a backup system in Chicago. And it's somewhat ironic that the backup system knocks down the primary system. But, you know, that's somewhat the life in technology uh, NYSE, Nasdaq others do a great job of technology but it's obviously not uh perfect you know we saw that clearly with the airlines so they did have a backup system issue they resolved it and then in terms of how did they adjudicate the claims of the customers I have no insight not not involved with that
2: there is something though I w- sort of I w- thinking through that and also, Um, when we had those flights grounded across the country just a week or two ago on what also appeared to be kind of a random error, it made me think about how have we increased the fragility of our major infrastructure by moving them into the land of software and technology. And, you know, we all think, oh, how could it have ever been that we ran these systems manually? Well, maybe we need to think about how to run them better or have more redundancy So that we don't have flights grounded for hours because of a one system failure or, you know, opening prices for the U.S. stock market completely thrown into disarray because of a a manual error. I mean, it's it's ironic that that something's meant to be so sophisticated actually seems to be making us more vulnerable and fragile in some ways than we were before.
12: Well, I would say this, Kelly. Your points are well taken, but I'd also make sure we don't look back to the past in some the past in some romantic way. I remember the first time back in the '80s, I opened up the back of a mainframe computer and was a nest of wires and the reliability of that thing was so low. So when you think about how much we're doing in an automated fashion today and the incidence of problems, you know, per unit uh, of processing power, our problems have declined dramatically. But that being said, we do need to get better uh, and, you know, the world works on that across all industries and yeah, we will get there.
2: Yeah, well, all I know is I, I have a feeling when, I mean, when, the new, when the new fund, when there are these AI opportunities out there, we know you're going to be poking around, uh, possibly involved in a big way. The,
12: uh, the future is written in code, that's for sure.
2: <laughs> Bob, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Bob Greifeld. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place